This is In Focus, a podcast from Cronkite News, the news division of Arizona PBS. In our third season, we're covering sustainability issues across Arizona. I'm Atlan Hassard. In this episode, we're focusing on urbanization, highlighting new innovations in transportation and climate control, both helping to keep cities sustainable. First up is a spin on an environmentalist's favorite way to get around, the bicycle. We are heading around town here. We're starting downtown right in Old Town, right on Main and Marshall. So this is a real hot spot of where our bikes are placed. I went on a ride along with Eric Holtquist. He's an operations manager with Limebike. They're one of the new dockless bike sharing apps you may have seen around Scottsdale. We go out in the beginning of the day, usually the first part is we check our app and it pulls up a map of where all the bikes are located in the city and it shows our hot spots where we need to get the bikes back to where they need to go. Dockless bikes are the ones you can get on and ride anywhere. They're solar powered with GPS tracking so Eric and the rest of the line bike crew can get them back to their hot spots like bars and bus stops. I think we're upwards of 20 guys now that work around the clock full time 6am to 8pm at night and uh, we're out here all day. Eric says the company had around five employees when he started in December, a month after their Scottsdale launch. It's like we have to hire more. We have more bikes going out. We have more bikes that need to be picked up. Last weekend we had a very big weekend, upwards of 7,000 rides, so it's it's been very good the last few weeks. Bike sharing has become a really popular trend since its recent debut. When I first got here, I know we had less than 1,000 bikes out in the city. Now we're upwards of uh, three to 4,000. We are, as bike share total, we're over 100,000 rides just in the valley, so it has been huge. Out of the 50 markets Line Bike is in, Scottsdale already ranks sixth, and at one point, second. I think the weather plays a big factor into it as well as everything's so close here. I mean downtown is so close to places like this, places like bars, spring training games, everything is just so arranged perfectly for bike sharing. So we are right in South Scottsdale, south of Old Town now where we get into a lot of the shops and such. We're just gonna make sure that there's no stray bikes out here. Yeah, what's the furthest place someone's had to go to to get a bike? Man, there are some far ones out there. I think we've had a couple that have ended up down towards South Mountain. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> way down there. And then I know I've picked up a couple in the Northern District up towards the Mayo Clinic and almost northbound of the 101 after the curve. Once in a rare while, we'll find one in the water, something like that, and they're still okay to use. We'll pull them out right away and clean them up and get them right back into a stack. If you're wondering who would leave a bike in the water, this is ASU student Zach Weinberger. When, I, when I'm di- done riding these bikes, I'm not mindful at all of where I put the bikes. I just leave it on the street. Zach's a regular bike share user. We go on them in Old Town, Old Town Scottsdale quite a bit, and they're fun. They get us to and from the bars. It's usually like a drinking thing or, um, yeah, just a drinking thing. Eric says they like to put the bikes near bars because people will frequently use booze then cruise. So we're on our way right now. We're going to stop at one of our partners. It's called Sweet Home Chicago. It's a local pizza, restaurant, sports bar, and we're going to drop off a couple bikes there. I think I'm going to drop off about four. This guy really likes line bikes right out front of his business, so I'm going to make sure he's up to date and restocked and say hey to him. Hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm Jim. Hey, yeah. nice to meet you. Matt. Nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah. Say a word. 
about your business and well, about I mean, life being here? Or? They started with 10 and they disappear and then they, some come back, some don't, but it's great. It's great for us, it's great for our business. Sweet home, Chicago is proud to have them here. I, I actually went looking for them. Jim says there's a group of about 30 cyclists that come in for a lunch on the same day each week. We're a sports bar, so for us it's a no-brainer. I mean, a bike, a sports pub, why not? Yesterday was a Tuesday, it was cloudy outside, and we still had over a thousand rides. There's some people riding There's some people riding right, right there, so we see it all day long. Limebike and their competitor Ofo cover the East Valley, while the docked grid bike systems are still the mainstay for Phoenix. The valley heat can make biking a less than desirable activity during the summer though, as it seems to do with everything. But a few residents are involved with projects trying to make the weather more bearable, both now and for the future. It's no secret temperatures in the valley are on the rise. The last few years have seen growing numbers in annual triple degree days, as well as heat-related deaths, which have increased every year since 2014. Maricopa County Epidemiology reports 155 confirmed heat-related deaths in 2017, with 24 still under investigation. A rapidly increasing death toll suggests something immediate needs to be done. The heat relief network operates from the beginning of May through the end of September. Our goal is to help prevent heat-related or heat-caused deaths by providing that needed water and refuge. Brandy Mead works at the Maricopa Association of Governments. She's in charge of a project to help residents cope now. The Heat Relief Network is a network of providers, faith-based agencies, and municipal partners that have organized um, to provide hydration stations and refuge locations all across Maricopa County. Brandy says the network came about after extreme July temperatures last decade caused a large number of homeless people to die in a one-week period. Since then, it's continued to expand. We started in 2005 with about 30 partners. We had 138 partners last year. Even though we have seen the number of partnerships grow over the years, we still have seen an increase in the number of, of deaths. And Brandy notes it's not just the homeless susceptible to heat-related deaths. Whether you're out doing recreation in the summer, you're working in the heat, older adults that may not be using their air conditioning properly, we know that the heat impacts anyone. If Phoenix's summer weather weren't already dangerous enough, it's expected to get worse. Right now, the city averages 109 days a year that reach triple digits. The Nature Climate Change Journal says we'll steadily move up to 132 by 2060. Residents may not even be around to see those anyways, though, as a study by Climate Central states Phoenix will be 3 to 5 degrees warmer by 2050, which Vice reports will make the city uninhabitable. Luckily, I found a couple fellow desert dwellers trying to change that. I am Camille Kalush, and I am a professor in the School of Sustainable Engineering here at ASU. Camille specializes in pavement design, highway construction, and roadway materials to help combat the urban heat island effect. When we started uh, the center about 10 years ago, uh, we had a mission trying to address the complexity of the phenomena, trying to address what really contributes uh, to the urban heat island. The urban heat island effect explains why you might feel Phoenix is just as hot at night as during the day. All the infrastructure, asphalt, and concrete absorb the sun's heat and re-emit it back out after dark. Camille and his colleagues have identified some potential solutions. Having parks or having green space, uh, that will help to reduce the urban heat island. Having a moderately reflecting roofs uh, will help to reduce the uh, heat island. 
having a pavement material that is more porous will definitely help to reduce the urban heat island. Camille says there's no one solution that fits all parts. Rather, it's a complex phenomenon that can be addressed by integrating good science with all of the different options. It's a combination of addressing your roadways, uh, your building geometry, your roofing structure, uh, what is the surrounding areas, how much of a green space is being integrated as part of that. It's a matter of sitting down and optimize all of these different factors we are discussing here today. The city of Phoenix has been making attempts to reduce the heat. Back in 2010, they created the Tree and Shade Master Plan with the goal of getting their current canopy up to 25% by 2030. But Nicole Rodriguez, a certified arborist and member of the Citizens Tree and Shade Committee, says the city's been dragging their feet. Starting eight years late, and we're still at the same percentage that we were even back in 2008, there's been no progress. So that's, that's a concern for a lot of people here in Phoenix. Currently, the amount of Phoenix canopy sits at 9%. Nicole is just one from a diverse group of about 20 Valley residents that wanted to see action now. Well, we felt the need to form the committee in response to um, city staff not having uh, created a committee themselves yet, and that's one of the main goals in the Tree and Shade Master Plan. Nicole says she's been researching tree ordinances in other cities and has come up with a few ideas for our council. Some of the vital things that need to happen with Phoenix to have ordinances that are actually going to be effective is education on planting trees the right place, right tree for the right place, I should say, and having some parameters, some guidelines on when a tree can and cannot be removed without some kind of permitting process for an assessment. The Tree and Shade Master Plan focuses on both shade from trees and man-made infrastructure. Nicole says her committee focuses on trees because that's where it's most vital. You could always build any time, but trees take time and they have their other benefits. My long-term goal, I think Phoenix should have a team of arborists that do inspections on planning and development. That's what I would like to see. Right now we only have one paid-for certified arborist that oversees all the trees in Phoenix, just one guy, and he has a lot of responsibilities. Nicole told me after our interview, City Council just motioned to make a tree and shade subcommittee within the Environmental Quality and Sustainability Commission, but there's no info yet on what it will look like or what steps it will take. Both of those stories were produced by me, Alan Hazard, with Creative Commons music by Pottington Bear. That's it for this episode of In Focus. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we find the crossing points of sustainability with technology and fashion. For more sustainability coverage, visit cronkitenews.azpbs.org. Make sure to follow us on social media at Cronkite News. This podcast is produced as part of Elemental, a new multimedia collaboration between Cronkite News, Arizona PBS, KJZZ, KPCC, Rocky Mountain PBS, and PBS SoCal.